the odd obsession, like my kids want me to buy and they, oh, the Polaroid camera. Oh, dad, look at these. I'm it's going back. Do you remember? Do you remember we were taking it for like casting shots? And this is just junky shots that came out of a camera. And then you go to get them developed. It's like, you know, $27 for three pictures. And you realize mm -hmm. how, how times have changed. The reality is these, this retro look that continues to come back. It's a Polaroid, but it is kind of cool. But we never thought of it as cool when we were using it. It was just a freaking picture. Right. They came yeah. out of the camera. Right. So no, it's weird. It's and then, uh, yeah. back to that app I'm using, it also has Polaroid on there and I shoot with an actual Polaroid sometimes and there's just no difference. Um, other than, uh, uh, from a look standpoint, there's a big difference in the feeling of using it. And I guess that's sort of the, I guess that would be, the maybe that's point. it. Yeah, that's the whole thing. The feeling, get yeah. a different feeling. I'm Todd Harrington, and you're listening to the Gray Matters Podcast. Along with my co-host, Tony Hoyland, each episode explores a special guest's lifelong passion. There'll be a bit of nostalgia, but mostly it's our guest's personal story of how they discovered their passion and how it evolved over the years. Welcome to the Gray Matters Podcast. Today's guest is Josh Rose. He's a digital creative director, deeply versed in integrated campaign development, both online and offline, digital and social ideation and development, as well as a creative leader across multiple disciplines. Since the beginning of digital marketing, his work has won many awards in Cannes, as well as the One Show and Effies. He's also an influential online voice for creativity as a top writer on creativity for medium.com and as a recognized artist and photographer, let me introduce Mr. Josh Rose. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Uh, we'll talk about some of the other things you're doing. Uh, but first, before you, uh, you may have heard a little mumble from someone else. That is uh, my co-host, my sidekick, the gifted voiceover, musician, singer, songwriter, Mr. Tony Hoyland. Keep going, man. More. You like more? Okay. Yeah. Last, last Josh time got I got that gigantic introduction. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the man who laughs. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not as excited about you. I'm kidding. Um, so, uh, Josh, uh, I, I think today, you know, you're, you have so many passions, so many gifts, but, you know, the focus can be obviously on photography, filmmaking, and a little bit of writing in there. I, I want to, I have some questions for you. I want to make some, set the stage with some, some photography quotes. I can't help myself. I look things up like you don't take a photograph. You ask quietly to borrow it. I kind of like that. It was interesting. The photo is the, uh, uh, is an open door to the past, but also allows a look into the future. Sally Mann said that. And I also think what's really cool is that no picture can be repeated. You press that button each time it's a new reality. So on that setting the stage, a little kind of, you know, quotes here and there. Um, I want to ask you, when you first started photography, when did you pick up the camera? When did you become passionate about it? Get you started, then we'll hit you up with some other thoughts and questions. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me and also for asking questions. Um, it's, a, you know, in this discipline of photography, you know, it, it's actually the idea of being asked your process and what you care about is kind of an honor because honestly, it's just not that sexy of a medium. And uh, when you get down to it, it's very workmanlike. It's very technical. Most of your job is, is, you know, finding solutions to problems. And, and so the idea that it's worthy of, 
of having some questions like this is is nice. It uh, feels good. So thank oh, you. Good. Thank you. For I that. like that. Sure. Um, in terms of my origin story, uh, it's it's very similar. Uh, this is a thing in photography. Uh, people love to talk about how it got started, and it always involves some beautiful piece of equipment early on in one's life. And this this it, it, it sort of like echoes a, a love affair in some ways. You know where. You discover something and, and it brings you some joy and, and you kind of stick with it. My, mine's the same. I was about 12 years old and I got a uh, Nikormat uh, camera for a birthday present. It was a hand-me-down and in uh, one lens, a 105 millimeter. And it was from a, uh, sort of a combined present from my grandfather, cousin, um, maybe my mom and, and some others too. And this is this all metal uh, deal. It was this camera that was based on the Nikons, but not as expensive, sort of the cheap version of it. And, but it was known as this tank of a camera that people took on, mm -hmm. on war assignments and, and stuff. And so it had this, this mystique and legend around it. And, and, and they gave it to me and it was it just immediately felt right and, and good and covetable as an object. And I just didn't know much of anything about it. Um, but I just started taking it around to the beach with me um, almost nightly and shooting sunsets and whatever I could shoot. And, and then a family friend uh, took me into the dark room. Uh, he happened to come from um, a wealthy family and he had a dark room at his parents' house. And, and he was sort of like an older brother type. And, and he brought me in and, and showed me how to develop film. And he had an enlarger in there along with all the chemicals and everything else. So it was sort of a full service deal uh, for black and white, of course, colors was too complicated. And that, um, that led to like small little things in high school. Um, I was, you know, like photo editor on the yearbook staff. Oh, of and, course. That's yeah. a, the yearbook photographer. There you go. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah, it's about as starts. cliche a story as you can get. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and some students wanted some portraits and I would do that. And, um, but you know, I found identity in it. I was a very artistic little kid and, and was always drawing. I was more known for my drawing. Um, and, and it started to satisfy a very similar thing that drawing did. And what my process for drawing was that I would draw late at night after all my homework was done. And it was almost like a trance like state that I would be in drawing. And it was an escape for me. It was, uh, like a little bit of an emotional, like respite from all the crap going on as a kid. And, um, and and I, and in the morning I would wake up and this drawing would be there. And because it was such a trance like state I was in doing that stuff, the drawing seemed like it was done by someone else. And, and that feeling hmm. of kind of waking up and being like, wow, did I do that? Like that you know, it, wow. it was such a powerful feeling for me. Um, that's, the, that's what I can equate photography to now. It's, um, that it's not necessarily the shooting, it's the getting of imagery. It's the it's bringing it back into the computer. It's not real for me. It doesn't, it doesn't have a completion or, or like a gestalt to it until, until I see the image. And, and well, I was, that leads me to a question. I mean, I was actually wondering, someone like you takes a lot of pictures and I'm going to talk about the comparison with iPhones in a moment, but mm -hmm. do you see, when you see something, do you cat, you already have in your mind how it's going to come out, but clearly you don't by that statement. Like when you're walking yeah. and saying, that's going to work right there. Hmm. Or I'm talking about just generally, not just doing a commercial shot, but do you actually envision it 
prior to the shot and have it all in your head? Or it sounds like you actually go through a process that's a little different little to bit. see the out the, the results. Yeah, a little bit different. It's a the way I think of it is so I've done this, whatever, a couple thousand times out on shoots, whether it was for myself or for others. And when you do it enough times, you know something is going to come back. And so what I've learned over time is that I don't have to know exactly what it's going to be. Um, I only have to know what the desired outcome is from mm -hmm. either the emotional standpoint or the brand's standpoint. Um, that this is what they want to convey. And that guides me to some extent, but I don't work off um, storyboards as much anymore. I'm certainly capable of doing storyboards and, and going shooting against them. But um, but more so what I do is we have a look and feel we work from, if I'm working with someone else and we know generally the kind of shots we want to get. But but the decisions you're making, you're going into it are more about you know editorial look versus product versus lifestyle, um, how much environment, how much person, how much product. And you're talking about these percentages. Uh, and this is a lot about what the client wants. You know, do they, the classic example in e-commerce is whether or not you show someone's face. Um, that's where, it, it, that's kind of where the rubber hits the road in mm -hmm. e-commerce. So if you, if you have a blouse or a shirt or something, a jacket you're trying to like get online, you know, how far up the face are you going to crop, you know, is usually the thing you're, you're kind of discussing going in. Um, same thing with environment, you know, how much of the frame does, does the product take up or the person take up? Because the wider you go and the more you include, the more it becomes editorial and the more those surrounding elements are part of the narrative uh, of what's, uh, of, of what the person looking at it is interpreting and taking in. And then as a photographer, the more you include, the more you need to be in charge of. So like last week I shot on a boat and, you know, the, it, but it wasn't out at sea, it was docked. And so there's a problem. Like the, the background is not open sea, it's apartments across the marina. So, um, you know, the question is like, do you show that? Do you not show that? What happens? Are we going to need to Photoshop that out and put something else in? Um, so these are the kind of decisions you make. But to answer your question more directly, I do not go in knowing exactly what the images are going to look like. Um, and that's a little stressful and and it it produces a little anxiety. I think every photographer feels that to some extent. I'm like, boy, like you know, I don't know what I'm walking into. So you have to kind of come right. that. Well, you you reference commercial photography versus fine arts photography. There's you know, obviously a big difference. You know, one with commercial photography, you almost, you know, the need and there's the value associated with the need, but with fine arts, you actually take that photo and you actually create value, value. It, it becomes valuable based on how it's uh, received, if that's uh, safe mm -hmm. to say, or mm -hmm. am, am I off base there? I think so. Yeah. I think an artist, um, it's a different mindset, certainly going in, but, but I think art and audience are, are definitely intertwined. Question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when, when we talk about, uh, when I think about photography from DPs, et cetera, I just think of the, the, the importance of lighting. And I know you've made some statements that you said in your blog about, you know, the brilliance of the lighting. It's all about the lighting. Mm -hmm. um, I read somewhere, is, is that really, I mean, to me, that's, that's, that's what it's all about. You can only do, do so much in post editorial posts, you know, whatever, edit it out. So yeah. um, the golden hour, so to speak. And so you try to find those moments. Yeah. Um, is that, are you a big fan and how do you deal with lighting when you don't have it? What's the way to kind of 
compensate for that when you're out on location? So light, yes, uh, a, a favorite topic of photographers. Light is kind of that all important element. It is one of those things you could spend a lifetime learning and, and trying to understand. I'm not actually much of a golden hour shooter. And I'll tell you why. Um, golden hour does not last very long and I have anxiety. So the shooting at golden hour uh, is the most stressful thing uh, I can do because the sun's going down and you can see it going down. And so it's like a ticking clock on, mm. on your work. And so I just don't enjoy it. I can't have fun with it. I mean, the yeah. shots look beautiful, but I, I won't do it anymore because it stresses me out. This makes me think of those uh, those Vermeer paintings, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. By the yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, well, window, so window light is is probably the, the best natural light scenario you can find um, for for all the things you've admired and, and remembered in those Vermeer paintings. Mm -hmm. But it's a diffused light. It's a single source. You're close to the diffused light, which is really good. Um, the closer you are to light, the more detail there is. And yet it's a very mm -hmm. soft light, so it's not creating harsh shadows necessarily. Um, and right. it's a side light, so it's not creating weird shadows like under your eyes or nose or chin. And so it's a, it's a beautiful, not to mention, um, just from an editorial standpoint, being by a window connotes things, you know, like you can't forget that this is a, you know, in those, in those paintings and in, in shots, it's someone peering out a window, like, what are they thinking? And, and, you know, why are they there? And why are they alone? Exactly. You know, like, I think that all works together. Yeah. So, so drifting a little bit uh, away from commercial, and I mean, how much of taking that your your profession of working with the agency, uh, humans or social, do you often walk around with a camera and feel you 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 wish or you don't have one, you wish you had one on it? Do you spend a lot of time just wandering and looking for pictures? And if so, what is that? You get up in the morning today is a photography day, or <laughs> you just got, always have it with you? Yeah, it's an insightful question. I um, my. My relationship to the camera itself has evolved. As, as you noted up front, you know, I worked for some big agencies. And in those days, my, my camera time, my photography time was my release. It was my sort of creative time to myself where I didn't have a client and I could just wander. And so, yes, I absolutely made photography days. And, and I was fairly um, prolific at that and, and regimented about that. I probably did it three times a week, um, mm, set, set aside wow. time for myself to do that. And, and, you know, but primarily what you're doing in that world is either fine art or street photography, because you can't really take on client work when that's your approach. Sure. Um, right. so, so that's where I kind of honed my skill, my understanding of seeing the world and light and composing and, and working with a camera and, and it feeling second nature. And, and yeah, I would say all through that and much of my Growing up, having a camera with me was something I did all the time. Always had it with me everywhere I went, especially if I was on vacation. But yeah, I'm I'm that guy who might show up to a party, you know, with a bunch of people with a camera, or to a dinner, you know, on a date with my girlfriend with a camera. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just yeah, I'm definitely that guy. But that's evolved out over the years. I don't. It's not as true as anymore now that I. I it's the core of my profession. I, I read somewhere that people actually, and I'm wondering how you feel about it. People actually uh, they don't take pictures solely to please themselves. They most of the time they take it to share with others. It's not like for themselves. 
Do you do it for the, the thought of sharing it or do you do it for yourself as far as a personal satisfaction or both? Yeah, I, um, that's a good question. I think I do it. So the, the photography I do that is most satisfying to me is almost always a collaboration with someone else. The, mm. I work with dancers a lot and I work with actors um, but I also work with models and, and others. And, and part of, you know, going back to the earlier question about how much do you pre-plan, a lot of what I'm doing is being a creative person on a set with someone else and we are jamming oh, okay. together. So I don't think I can totally separate out who I'm doing it with anymore from, you know, from what I do for myself. I will say that like I, I currently have this artist in residence with the Los Angeles Dance Project here, and that is an extremely high-end, you know, dance company. Um, they're they're very very talented, very very successful, and so what? So there's this back and forth. There there's what they need because they have a performance and they want some creative photos of the performance to document it to market it. But then because it's an artist in residence, I also have leeway to do things of my own themes and and things that are uh, you know satisfy you know stuff i'm working on um with my own series um and and i do think artists mostly work in series i read something that really kind of struck me when uh, something you wrote going the importance of being weird in photography and i love that like you want to elaborate what you mean by that because you mean just just taking goofy stuff or taking weird pictures or just being weird as a photographer what do you what do you mean by that well now that everyone is a photographer um, because you have this great camera in your pocket, the tendency to create a homogeny of imagery out there is really high. Yeah. Um, there's Instagram places, you know, like any trip you take, you can look up what the kind of like most beautiful spot is to go stand and take a photo. And, mm -hmm. um, and then also we all know how to take selfies and we all know how to take food shots now and, and we can go into portrait mode and, and get a beautiful depth of shallow depth of field portrait. And so, as they're good, like those are good photos, but they're also the same. And so weirdness and just sort of like allowing yourself to, to search into your soul and find, like in the old days, you had a quirk, you had something you were into that no one else was into, whether that was like D&D &D or, you know, you're into butterfly collecting or whatever it is, you know, like there's something that kind of just made you different, made you unique. And right. I think we just sort of lost a little of that like, I don't know if people desire that as much anymore, thanks to social media. I mean, do you think, I mean, that's what I was going to talk about, the camera. I mean, I think what bothers me a bit about the iPhone, the Samsung, all that is that having a camera growing up, you really thought about the shot a little bit. I mean, you saw a moment, you took it, but each exposure, whether it's the 24 roll or the 36 roll, they, you know, you had to really plan it. You didn't want it unless you had a ton of money and a lot of rolls of film with you. But now it's like just kind of a laziness, a randomness of taking as many photos because oh, I'll find one in there. So uh, how do you, it's changed a lot in your mind. And, and if, tell us what you thought for the good or for the, or for the bad. I mean, obviously the bad is it doesn't, you can have any, everyone's a photographer, but that's also good. But yeah. what do you, what, how do you feel about what's happened to photography and the art of photography because of that little device in your hand. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, we've democratized photography for sure. If, mm -hmm. I mean, Apple calls their high-end phones pros and that's for professional and they're directly, you know, that's about photography. 
they're talking. And so they're mm-hmm. considering this a professional photography device and people treat it that way and, and can use it to great effect. So the it, it's changed it to your question by forcing people to figure out what their own voice is, which is what every photographer goes through. Every artist goes through his, at some point you have to decide what's unique about you and what are your themes and what do you care about to the exclusion of other things. Mm-hmm. So what I think it forces us to do, if you if you really want to make work that's different and unique and have a voice and get hired, because mostly people hire people for their unique voices in photography, is you need to start to define this and and figure out what that means for yourself. And that's just, um, you know, that's a very hard road to walk down to, to go try to figure that out. Um, so I think that's what it's creating is, the middle tier of people who can shoot has just gone super high. Like there's just, mm-hmm. which is so different mm-hmm. than when I was a kid. It was a huge barrier to entry with photography because of the equipment. Sure. So now that everyone has it, you've got to differentiate yourself in some really strong way. Um, and that that's even harder. So I think if you're a successful photographer today, to me, that's even more interesting now than it used to be. Tony, do you uh, do you take a lot of photos, or you just listen to music? Not on really, the phone? man. No? I, um, no. I mean, you know, like everybody else, like I'm like I'm the I'm the dumbing down of the art guy. You know, uh, huh. yeah. I'm the selfie. You're the <laughs> selfie guy. I have oh, a question okay. though. Um, yeah, I, I'm assuming you you are working entirely on with digital cameras now. Is that right or no? No, I have. Does a- anyone really use um, you know actual film anymore? Yeah, it's on the rise. I have two film cameras I use. I have a Leica M6, which is a very classic uh, rangefinder film camera, very covetable and and very high quality. And then I also have uh, a Yashica T5, which is an older point and shoot, which is very simple, but is well known for its its lens quality. Uh, for a point and shoot, it has actually a very nice lens. So um, I do I do shoot film. Uh, I'm not a huge enthusiast, and and you'll usually find that this is the case that people who grew up in the 80s or were shooting in the 80s and 90s are not as much of a lover of film as those who've started more recently because it's mm. because it was all we had and we it was not like it didn't have a retro coolness to it for us right. it was simply a cost prohibitive item and right. it was labor intensive and it posed a lot of problems yeah. And the chemicals burn your fingers when you're doing Yeah, and they're too. horrible yeah. smell and, I mean, yep. Yep. your skin. Like, yeah, so I don't have a big romantic feeling about film. But I will gotcha. say that I love the look I get with film. And, and I like to mix it with my digital. So if I can, mm-hmm. I have the leeway on a shoot and the time, I will shoot digital and film. And I like to... You know, I like to present both those options to clients. That's cool. Yeah. But you said it's actually making a bit of a comeback. It is. Yeah, for sure. Kind of like analog um, music, you know, LPs. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. All you have to do is go on uh, Depop and and look up film cameras, and you'll see just how popular these things are. Some of those old cameras, are, they're so sexy, though. They're very cool. It's oh, for sure. Great to have at your for shelf, sure. even whether you use them or not, the old ones, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up with, I'm I'm, an, I'm older, and as, Tony's actually older than me, I think, but um, 
uh, <laughs> like like by nine months or something. Yeah, maybe um, eleven. But I, I grew up with uh, Ansel Adams on my wall. You know, the, the mm-hmm. black and whites of Ansel Adams. I mean, I'm sure the younger ones go, "Who Ansel? Who? I don't know." I mean, uh, yeah. You know, I might want to say and ask you, well, what makes a photo good and what makes it great? As far as I mean, is it really about the subject or what that photographer captured? in that subject, that moment versus the actual subject itself. Yeah. The, the way I think of it is a good, a good photographer is capturing detail and a great photographer is capturing emotion. Okay. Anyone can shoot a portrait. The question is, as a photographer, how are you going to do it different than someone else? And how are you going to capture, you know, there's, there's going to be some reason you're shooting it. He's promoting a movie or he's trying to change his image in some way, or the article is about, you know, something personal about him. And, and as a photographer, you need to capture that. And so, so the decisions you're making in a, in a situation like that, or how does everything in this photo add to that narrative, that emotion? And, and what can I do in framing it, composing it, shooting it, working with light, working with the lenses? How do all those contribute to the way someone will feel when they look at it? Um, yeah. So that's that's what to me. I think if you can master that, then you're great. So uh, going into, I looked at the uh, Venice Arts. You want to tell us a little bit about the nonprofit and what you're doing there? And, and I know you. I want to talk a little bit about your writing because in the connection between the writing and your photography. But talk a little bit about Venice Arts for a moment. Sure. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for asking about that. Um, I you know, have worked in commercial art for decades, and and so having an nonprofit relationship in my life or, or a few is a way for me to feel like, you know, for lack of a better term, putting my powers to better use, you know, than Hmm. commercial art. And, and, and so what I do is try to find communities and areas specifically within Los Angeles, because it's my community. And I believe in trying to fix one's own community first. And uh, Venice arts is an organization I used to be on the board of, I'm no longer Um, but I still work with them on occasion and they help uh, kids who aren't getting art education uh, to, to receive one free of charge. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, they're either from underserved, underprivileged uh, or otherwise, you know, difficult communities where, where they just aren't able to get that. And, And then they bring people in artists of different kinds to teach them some real world skills and, and in filmmaking and in photography and, and storytelling and, you know, they have assignments, they have art shows. It's really powerful. So that's one I work with. And then the other is Homeless Healthcare Los Angeles is a fairly major nonprofit organization I work with. They, um, as it sounds, work, work with homeless people experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles. They have a couple different facilities, but the one they're most known for is the Needle Exchange down on Skid Row. Um, but they also have a place called Refresh Spot on Skid Row where where people experiencing homelessness can come and take showers and do laundry and, and hang out in a safe environment. And um, So I do a ton of work for them as well. Everything from website, to photography, content. I'm going over there uh, right after this uh, to Skid Row okay. doing some shoots, uh, some some swag shoots for them up on a, a rooftop. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Great. when when you when you talk about, I mean, I I read some of your blogs, and although I think of you as a photographer, filmmaker, creative director, you there's a lot of writing. I mean, do you do yeah. do you enjoy that more in the process? Do you find it more of a struggle than photography and filmmaking, or do you see them connected with as far as you're concerned? Do they work hand in hand for you? 
Yeah, it goes back to those days as a kid or nights as a kid when I was in my journal. I would write, I had filled up journals and journals, writing on one side, drawing on the other, writing on one side, drawing on the other. And it was always this sort of poetic, um, you know, verse kind of thing I would do, just stream of consciousness and free association type writing. And it was, it's very cathartic to do that. It feels very self-involved to me. Writing feels very self-involved. And so, and, but I studied poetry for a number of years here in LA after my formal education. Um, I took courses and, and got published and, and was pretty into that. And then I did a lot of copywriting through my career. And so writing has always been there and it's something I enjoy and, and is a challenge just like photography is. And it's still a release for me, but it's more of a minor, you know, to photography's major for sure. And to be clear, I don't think writing in and of itself is self-involved. The way I write feels self-involved. So like I get very <laughs> self-conscious when I'm writing and I try to never use the word I, or I try to like really reduce the amount of times the word I is in anything I write. Um, because when I do it, I get very self-conscious and I feel, I feel navel gazing E and, mm. um, and I just, I did that for so many years, uh, that it just doesn't feel as good for me. I feel disconnected when I do that for some reason. So, so you're writing, as you said, you're just doing that little, just, just periodically, not as, so as, writing, as much I do, depth. I do, I do a lot of it, or I have been until recently. I got very busy over the last few months and writing was sort of the thing, but uh, also working out that, that seemed to, I had no time for that either. Um, but <laughs> after that, uh, writing seems to have fallen by the wayside. Um, but when I am on and like, it's all sort of firing, I'm writing one or two articles a week uh, for Medium. I am doing one or two posts on Instagram a week and I spend way more time than I should writing like artistic, creative writing captions for that, for mm -hmm. poetry. Mm -hmm. And then my latest project uh, for like fine art theme is, to your point earlier about like the way they come together, I'm trying to bring uh, all of it together. So I'm trying to bring my writing in the form of voiceover to some of my more cinematic uh, video work, which is it's, which is an offshoot of my, I try to treat my filmmaking the same way I do my photography. Like I try to do it in black and white. And I, you know, when I'm doing it my way, you know, I'm composing each shot carefully and you know, the way I would have photographed. But I'm trying to bring that in together with my writing. And so I've been spending time trying to get that together. What's that going to look like and feel like? So speaking of writing, I was just thinking, you know, just like writer's block, you ever get a photographer block? I mean, <laughs> you ever get something that just you're in, a, you're on the studio, man, I can't make this work, man. I just can't do this. It just doesn't work. I mean, you get through it because you're a professional. But I always think there are times I've tried to write and I'm going nothing. But do you ever have that moment where you have the camera in front of you go, I know that I'm taking pictures, but these suck. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a different form to your, you know, as you start to think about it, you can imagine this. But like with writing, you have to make up dialogue or you know, make up yeah. a sentence that didn't exist before out of nothing. And right. that's way harder than, you know, I have a, you know, a skateboard in front of me and I need to take a photo of it. Like that skateboard's <laughs> there already. Um, so, and, and you know, all I got to do is turn the light on and, and click the shutter. It's not, mm. it does not have the same blockage, but I, what I will say is there is burnout, um, very heavily. And it's, it's hard to contend with as a photographer because the way it feels out there, and this is partly your own doing as you come up as a photographer is like, 
well, this is my passion. And all you want when you're sort of like coming up in photography is to be able to do this full time. That is like the dream that I don't have mm -hmm. to have a desk job and I don't have to worry about office politics and I can wear shorts to work and, you know, and I'm just doing my art and my photography and people hire me for my talent. Like that all seems amazing. And so it's very hard to accept that you're not feeling it on a given day yeah. because you, you, you feel like you should be lucky just to be able to do it. And so that to me is the hardest part is when, well, I just don't want to pick my camera up today. Like I'm just burnt on it. And, yeah. and you know, I've got this amazing shoot. Like it might be a really, really fun shoot. And the person who's doing it or putting it on or paying for it, you know, this means a lot to them, you know? And so you, right, got, you right. have to dig down and you got to find it. Yeah. Do you feel the process from the way you see it and plan it is it becoming just easier for you? Obviously a situation, situational, but do you feel that you get to a point? I talked to a guy the other day where he figures things out for strategy. It's like almost cheating because it's experience. It's the gray matters factor. Do you, mm -hmm. do you get there quicker in the planning yeah. than yeah. you did in the, in the past? Yeah. You do, you do yeah. a lot. That is the benefit of doing it over and over again. Like anything, huh. it can, same with, you know, fixing a car, by the way, it's not a whole lot right. different. Right, right, you right. You just know right. those parts. Or what I like to compare it to, there's a term, a French term chefs have called mise en place. Um, and it is, it is this process by which they first organize the kitchen before they ever start cooking. And, uh. and when you do that over and over and over again and always put the same things in the same place every single time, that where those things are, uh, and that I think it translates to everything in its place. Um, sure. becomes second nature to you. And so then it makes the act of doing it a lot easier. And I try to employ that with photography too. I pack my bag the same way. I charge my batteries in the same place. I, um, I also do a thing that I learned in advertising before a pitch. Um, I used to take, take about five minutes at least, and sometimes 30 minutes or an hour to sort of practice right before the pitch, you know, to get myself in the right mindset, to be kind of like in the place where, you know, I knew my stuff really well. And I still do that as a, as a matter of practice on the way to any shoot. I turn the stereo off, roll the windows down, and, um, you know, I, I just do a little bit of, uh, what do they call it when you, like, are trying to, like, you think about it so that you can kind of, like, yeah, picture it. Like a visual, yeah. visualization? Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. It's kind of visualize <clears throat> the shoot, but more so just sort of my... Um, it's like meditation, you know, because yeah, there, there's yeah. all these little teeny things in photography that can mess up your shot. Um, you can be out of focus. You can be wrongly compensated for the light. Your white balance can be off. Um, you know, there's all these teeny little things. And if you're just sort of distracted and not into it, you will forget one of those things. Cause there's like 30 yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I just put if myself in that place and now it's like, it's the same thing every single time. And you know, I haven't had a, a crappy shoot in a long time, which is, I think, testament to you. It. You envision it coming together, and you see it in advance, and then you you go with it. So it's kind of, you almost already been there, if yeah, you will. Exactly. Kind yep. of, yeah. Just like with like they say, if you put a ball in golf, if you could see it go in the cup. That doesn't work for me, but it's uh, mm -hmm. it, it, you can it goes in if you like try to envision it going in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, one thing that to bring a little gray matters to the end of this, I mean, what do you see as far as your future with photography? Obviously, you're going to do it to make a living with your company. Um, but do you see how do you see your changing towards you can see more go into the fine arts of it or you like the social component? 
what, where do you want to take it as you get, you know, I don't dare I say you're gray, Josh, but I think there's a little gray in your beard. But a lot. other than that, how, where, where do you see yourself going with your, your art of photography and writing if you want? Yeah, well, first of all, I went gray in my 30s. And I'm now in my 50s. So oh, we could interview you a while ago. So <laughs> yeah. you're, you're late uh, to this interview yeah. by a lot. Uh, wow. As far as where it goes, um, I'll tell you one thing that I struggle with a lot right now. The boomers, uh, my, my mm. kind of my dad's generation, I guess. Um, it's Tony are, my generation too. Yeah. yeah. So boomers <laughs> are right now at this point in time, extremely obsessed with uh the word legacy or the term or the idea oh of yeah legacy. yeah this yeah. is something that everyone i talk to of that age is is just constantly referencing like what am i going to be remembered by and um what work have i done that's gonna you know be beyond me and, and how will i be remembered and and so there's a lot of like and so i naturally as a as Gen X and just pushing away from that um, and trying not to think about that at all um, because the tendency mm. as a photographer if you were to going to go down that path would be what are the handful of images that I'll be remembered for for the rest of my life and, and kind of yeah. getting that together and maybe selling them or putting a show together of that and um, I'll tell you like I am I don't want to do that I can see falling into it but I yeah. just want to be better and better at the process. I want to enjoy doing it every bit as much as I did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And I want to like, you know, the, the day I pass away, I would like to have started that morning with a shoot and, you know, that I, and, and had done it in a way that still brought as much joy to me as it did when I was 12 years old. That, that's what wow, I have a different vision in my last day, but that's interesting. Um, <laughs> but like, I, what it, what's interesting about uh, around Gen X or boomers and all that, this, this whole, this definitely obsession with retro and nostalgia. And like, everyone seems to be, maybe it's the, the, the political environment we're in, but they're all longing for the past and, oh my God, look at that retro. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like that bothers you also to some extent that we're just kind of the leg? Well, that's a different than legacy. Obviously I take that back, but there's this obsession with the past. Like we just don't make it like we used to, we don't do things like we used to. And maybe that bothers you also about the boomers as well. And so mm -hmm. they go out, you know, creating their legacy. I don't know if you have <laughs> yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah. The, um, the issue of, of what is retro. Yeah, I have an app yeah. on my phone that has every awesome camera emulated in this one app. So you can pull up, you know, a Leica emulator, a Polaroid emulator, a Hasselblad wow. emulator. Oh, cool. Um, you know, you can make it look like a wet plate. You can, you know, and it, one of the ones in there is this eight millimeter camera. And it's the thing that kind of pushed <sighs> me over the edge. Cause I was like, wow. Like that really does look like my grandfather's uh, films. Like, like, and yeah. even with the sound, it has that you know the the film thread sound going through um, during the whole thing, and it's whatever it is, eight frames a second or something. It's just like, uh, and I don't know, like it it snapped me a little bit. I was like, what? There's a little bit of like, what am I doing? You know, and and what is the value of that? And um, you know, it brings with it an emotion. But it's an yeah. emotion brought forward from another time. Um, but I get really philosophical about that. Like, what is that? Like, and times weren't necessarily better back then. Um, right. You know, and it's so simpler and all that. Yeah. 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 Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just sort of like this, it pairs things down. 
All right. Any last words, Tony, Josh? Any last thoughts? I um, got one. I think did you did you say that the whole photography, that the whole thing, kind of started with a gift? Yes. Yeah, a camera. That's so cool. From my grandfather, who was actually uh, a really good photographer, um, but mostly did travel stuff. He did thirty-five yeah. millimeter film photography when he traveled. He went around the world, not of twenty times. Oh, my ultimate dream was this, you know, shooting. It's so cool. It reminds me of like, yeah. of like, um, well, like with me, like a guitar. You know, like it's like you know, same as when I was twelve years old. Like, can I just have that guitar and go to bed with it? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm not yep. touching that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we do. We keep, we keep these objects. It is fascinating. A guitar, a tennis racket. A, yeah. There's yeah. A, a watch. There's these things that enter into our lives at some age or stage. They, they have the power to, to influence where you go. It's really, it really is amazing. enjoy this episode of the Gray Matters Podcast. Please rate and review it and be sure to tell your friends too. For more information about the podcast, go to thegraymatters.org and please subscribe to The Gray Matters wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to thank my guest, Josh Rose, my co-host, Tony Hoyland, and a special thanks to you, the listener. I'm Todd Harrington. Until next time.